This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. This is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Kim on from Oyster, and our topic is, it's really going to be about disillusionment. However, it's a longer title, so let's get through it. Employee disillusionment and what companies can do to relieve some of the pressures. But again, at the heart of this is employee disillusionment, which is going to be fantastic. Haven't really talked about this. Kim, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and Oyster? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Kim Rower. I'm our principal people partner here at Oyster. I say shorthand for that is think of it like a principal engineer, but for people stuff. And I think Oyster is an interesting company to be at right now because we are over 600 employees across 70 countries. We're globally distributed with no offices, or you could say we have over 600 offices since everyone works from their own space. And we are a global employment platform. We help companies everywhere hire people anywhere. So we are living our own product vision with a mission to to increase opportunity around the world with with people being able to be hired everywhere, not just in traditional kind of high growth tech markets. I love that. Um, yeah, and y'all, y'all just released a new compensation or reward total recognition. Yeah, our total rewards tool. Yeah, we're one of the hardest things that companies that are globally distributed are dealing with is how do we pay people equitably around the world? There's been a debate for the last few years, longer than that, but it's really surfaced in the last few years as more people have gone remote of location-based pay versus geographically agnostic pay. And we don't purport to have the answer for every company. Of course, every company needs to do what's right for them. But depending on the compensation philosophy you land on, we aim to provide some tools to help you figure out how to best implement that philosophy and how to think about benefits and compensation and perks and kind of the total rewards package for a globally distributed organization. And that might be that you have some employees in San Francisco and some employees in London. It doesn't necessarily mean you're 100% right. distributed across right. 70 right. countries all around the world because right. not many companies are that quite that level of distributed. But that regardless of where in the world your employees are and where you want to be hiring people, we want to help you do that in the easiest, lowest lift way possible that still focuses on supporting the employees, making lives easier for your HR team, and staying compliant, which is a very tricky task. We figure if we have to do it for ourselves, then we can do it for our customers. I love it when HR tech companies use their own product. I'm always shocked when they don't. Yeah. But I'm so glad that y'all use Oyster to, you know, again, you're going to find things as users yeah, that will actually inform the product and product managers and stuff like that. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And we're super integrated with our product team and our customer team, even our sales team. They're, it's nice as a person who's been in this field for a long time to finally feel like I'm working at a company where like my input matters to the product and mm-hmm. the product team understands that. And they want to know how we're finding the product and what challenges we're having and They'll host like little AMA sessions with us to be like, what is your, what is hard about your job? Let's see if we can fix it. And and what's great great about it is typically on the product side, especially they get so into the product that they think that something's great. 
they'll develop it and they'll launch it and they're wondering like why didn't people use it and so it's like then working with real pr- practitioners and they're like yeah exactly. I didn't use it. I, I, that was horrible i hated that yeah like, same i can't tell you the number of hr tech companies i've worked with or advised where I'm like, have you talked to any actual users? Like, <laughs> have you talked to your own internal team? Yeah. I feel very grateful to be at a company that recognizes that they have 30 or so of their ICP internally as a resource that they can consult on, on things. It's great. I love it. Okay. So disillusionment. Disillusionment. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is going to be great because, okay, so <sighs> employee dis- disillusionment. And how do we relieve some of that, those pressures, the stress, et cetera, that comes from disillusionment? So let's just talk about disillusionment for a moment. What is that? What have you seen? How does that represent itself? Or how does it, how does it appear to you? Because like when people used to really at the early stages of engagement, I always got engagement confused with discretionary effort. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's for me, like, I look at engagement as the measure of not how committed people are to your company in terms of how much they're willing to go above and beyond outside their job duties, but like how connected they feel to the organization. Do they, it's, it's your version of a net promoter score. Do people recommend working there to their friends? Do people want to stay at your company? Do people look at your company as a place to grow their careers? Are they satisfied with their workload? We've, I've, been working with culture amp for a long time they have a their own measurement of how they score engagement based on a number of factors engagement has become now almost so commonplace as a measurement that i think we're forgetting what it means and engagement doesn't necessarily mean retention at all costs and engagement doesn't necessarily mean putting in long hours and doing work that's outside of your core job it's just it's a measure of how people feel about working for your company, how connected do they feel being there? And what I've seen over the last, really the last six to 12 months or so is people are tired. People have been working through a pandemic for three years. And this, in addition to the pandemic, there's been all the other shit going on in the world, which we talk about a lot in this report. It's like, you have climate change, you have, civil unrest, you have wars, you have economic collapses, you have, there's so much shit going on in the world right now. Even the, like, (laughs) even when employees are going above and beyond, it feels like it's not enough for some companies and for people to be doing like just their job and being like engaged enough to like feel connected to their company. That's not seen as enough when really that the maximum that a lot of people could contribute that's, right now that's that again their capacity like we got to set the bar differently uh-huh it's a recalibration of sorts in the sense of okay we've all been through this kind of horrible situation i think we rose to the occasion by and large i think yeah. as a society a lot of companies again some companies did not fare well some companies flourished got all that but i think as a society by and large we were hit with Hurricane Katrina, in a sense of all of the worst things that could happen, happened at once, and it happened quickly, and we responded. But we've underestimated how that's impacted everyone, leaders. Like, well, this is easy to talk about employees, but you know what? Leaders are just as burnt out. Salespeople burn out. Everyone is burnt out. Everyone's burnt out. That's why I hate these, like, 
all of these trendy catchphrases around like it's quiet quitting it's minimalist yeah. mondays it's no i'm just it's tired. just people showing up the best they possibly can 100%. and like why are we i know why it's for clicks right <laughs> um, yeah. like why yeah. do we need a little quippy catchphrase to describe something that's very normal and instead of making it this very scary are your workers quiet quitting and only working their standard 40 hours a week what if it was okay to not show up for a full 40 hours a week every single week every single day what if we gave ourselves some grace and gave each other some grace to recognize the immense pressures that people are under and have been under for the last several years oh, and like recalibrate our expectations for what it means to be engaged and what it means to show up at work it's i'm a napper so I've always been this way. Yeah. Even when I worked in an office, I was one of those people that I would nap 20 minutes. Uh-huh. Like I can fall asleep anywhere at any time. You could be in a nightclub. It's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. But if I, like through the pandemic, because there was more time, I took more naps. Okay. But now I don't have as much time. I still take naps. I still schedule yeah. naps. Like it's like, you I know what you need. I know what I need. And I think that the pandemic, it recentered people around, what do you need to Right. To to survive, okay, right. comma, thrive. And, right. and thrive, the algebra has changed for that for you. If And that's okay. Yeah. If you were a workaholic before, that's cool. You're a workaholic after, that's cool. But right. by and large, most people have re-looked, uh, they've re-evaluated their life and their priorities. Exactly. Exactly. And the disillusionment comes from having that kind of oh, individual awakening and yep. realizing that's not going to be possible for me at the company that I'm at, or how can I make that possible for me at the company that I'm at? If they look at, here's what I need. What I need is a flexible schedule because my kids' daycare hours are still not back to what they normally were before the pandemic. And I need to be able to leave at an earlier time to pick up my kid. And I need to be able to have the flexibility to change my schedule around. If you're, I use that example because it's one of the most common ones that I hear about. It is in fact, in my own household. If your employer is not going to allow that, because for them, like there are very specific hours that they want you to maintain. And there's not like a clear reason for that, except butts and seats visibility, you are going to become disillusioned right. and disconnected from that work environment. You realize like, wow, my company doesn't see me as a person. The company no. sees me as a, a body in a chair that needs to be sitting in this chair for a certain amount of time. It doesn't matter the quality of my work. doesn't matter whether I get all of my work done, what my that's, output is, it matters that's, that's if they drives, can see me. That's what drives me around about the return to office is yeah. I honestly believe that all of it is just about real estate. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. command and control. They've got, they've got big real estate bills on their that's right. on their on their budget sheets. That's right. And then gotta, and command, gotta validate it, it. And command and control that, that mm-hmm. comes out of the like it came out of World War Two. It came out of manufacturing. It's just this idea I have to see you work in order to believe that right. you are working which we disproved during right. three years of working remotely. Like yep. we, we've shown that we can be productive. Why are we doing this bit? Right. But I think the emotional toll is something that you're kind of, you're keying in for me is like the expectation of others and the fear of perceived failure. Mm-hmm. This thing that we carry along with ourselves as employees is again, 40 hours we use that as just an arbitrary thing. I can't do that at a hundred percent. I can do right. it, but there's going to be, there's going to be the, there's, I'm not going to be at a hundred percent. That's just is what it is. Now that expectation of others is no, I expect you to work 50 hours. 
but we right. at 100%. So I can't right. beat your expectation. And so I think people are walking around with a bunch of emotional baggage of they just don't feel like they're doing great in their jobs. Constantly. Constantly. And it's like, what do there we There is no way to win. Right? No, it's not. It's, it's not like, a winnable game. Exactly. So what do we do solutions wise? What do we do to help them understand it's okay, A, and B, so the employee side, but also the manager side? Yeah. Of resetting their expectations as to what is a great work week or what is a great relationship with an employee, et cetera. I love that framing of what is a great work week, because I think that's something that we don't really define in a lot of roles. I think there are some roles where there's there's a quota that you have to meet or there's a number of tickets you have to respond to where you work out your goals for the year and the quarter and the month and the day. Like on average, we need to achieve this many this much in sales at this month or this many tickets resolved at this speed or whatever the job may be. But there's not a lot of flexibility in that. And I think for leaders to be able to define what is a great week look like and what is a good enough week look like yeah. and knowing every week is not going to be a great week and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like, as long as it's over the course of the year, you're averaging X, Y, Z or meeting your numbers, like, you can have some weeks that are good enough. You can have some weeks that are bad. You can have some weeks that are great and it all evens out because our lives are not consistent. And so how can we expect our performance to be consistent day by day, week by week? We're not robots. Like People get sick. People's families get sick. People just have off days. Like You have to allow for the spectrum of human experience in your planning. But in 19 or 2019, pre-pandemic, we that was us too. Yeah. I'm not saying it was good before. I'm not right. saying we had it right before the pandemic. <laughs> okay, this is good. what drives me so this is what drives me okay. so nuts about this return. We gotta return to normal. We gotta return to oh, pre pandemic. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. like it was so great. It wasn't working before. No, like, it was totally the broken. pandemic just we used to say this at Ten Labs, a company that I I co founded around supporting caregivers at work. We used to talk about how the pandemic just laid bare all of the struggles that we were having already. It right. just made it so that we couldn't hide them as well. We couldn't mask our struggles That's right. because there was no way to do that. We were all in like in the deeply entrenched fear and a new world and everyone was in it together. And we were all peeking into each other's houses and meeting each other's families and struggling with mysterious illnesses and all of this shit was happening. There was no hiding. There was no pretending it was okay. That doesn't mean it was okay before. It just right. means we had an easier time pretending before because we could leave all of that stuff behind. And there's the, the trope of you stand outside the office door and shake off whatever you had and you like put on your smile and burst through the door like ready for work. So that wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't like a good way of living. It just was the way we were living. And so now we have an opportunity to reinvent our relationship to work, whether you're going into an office or not. There's an opportunity for companies and employees to have more candid conversations about what does it look like to show up for work every day? What does that mean? Like, why do when why is it that way at our company? I think I, I saw this. I was on LinkedIn a couple months ago about someone talking about professional work attire for Zoom meetings, and it just like I had to read it a couple times. <laughs> I was like, what is that? You, you mean what? you mean you mean pants? Okay. Yeah, I was like, well, I don't understand. Like. And, but reading it, it was very eye-opening for me as a person who has not had to wear oh, yeah. a uniform or a suit or anything ever in my career. That there were companies that are expecting people to show up for work calls in like a full suit sitting at their kitchen table. Oh, that's, that's insane. Like, 
is what is the reason? Like, if you can justify it, if you can explain like why that's important to your company and your culture and your business, then fine. That's who you are. Like you do you. But if it's just arbitrary because that's the way people dress for work, then maybe it's time to rethink some of these practices. And that that's what I think companies need to do, not just individual employees or individual line managers, but like company leadership from the top down needs to identify what is important to us for business success and the longevity of our company and our ability to be a business. And what is important to us culturally because of how we want to run that business and the type of employer we want to be. And using those kind of core principles to define how you support people and what types of benefits you provide and how you expect people to show up on Zoom or not, or how you schedule meetings or how you work asynchronously, all of these things. I can espouse what I think are best practices and principles based on previous companies I've worked for, but it's so individual to the company that you really have to start with what do we need for the business to to sustain itself and what kind of company do we want to be? And if you start there, then you can make informed, consistent decisions about the rest of the employee experience. So where do we start in terms of relieving some of these pressures? Is it with the managers or is it like kind of reconfiguring training? Let's just do so yeah. use, use our words. Let's We're going to train and retrain the managers for, and get their expectations. Or is it we focus on the employees and get them to understand what's okay? And like we're, again, in a perfect world, you do both at the same time, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, really, I think focusing on that kind of mid-level of management is really mm-hmm. important because it's one thing for leaders to say, we believe in taking time off and take care of your mental health and be with your family and all these things. And it's really easy for the employee level to look at that and say, yeah, of course you can do that. You're the CEO or you're the <laughs> you're a VP. Of course you, you, you have your a own jet. schedule. <laughs> right. Like you can make your own schedule you're the svp of whatever right and then it's really easy also to tell employees like hey take your time off do your thing like work-life balance but if employees aren't getting the reassurance from their manager who's usually like the first Mm -hmm. or second line manager they're not going to feel empowered to do it and if they're only seeing the example from the very top they're not going to feel empowered to do it we need that kind of middle level of management to be taking vacation to be speaking openly about mental health to be being candid about the blocks that they have in their day. Put those childcare pickups on your calendar. Put those maps on your calendar. Talk to your team about how you're ending early because your brain has just stopped working that day and you need to zone out for a bit. Like managers need to stop with the like martyrdom of I'm a manager, so I need to be everything and be strong for my team. Like managers need to be human too. And if employees see their managers being human, they will feel more comfortable being human. And it gets to vulnerability. Exactly. Like, like feeling vulnerable is creating space to be vulnerable, creating exactly. space for a manager to like, it. it's not only okay to take a vacation, you're actually hurting folks not taking a vacation. It is expected that you right. take a vacation. I, in my very early startup days, I had a team of founders who just, just didn't take vacations. It wasn't their thing. They didn't, they liked to work. They were founders. They worked all the time. And it got to a point where I had to make them take fake vacations because the visibility of them never taking vacation was impacting the team. So I said, I need you to not work for the next week. Pick a week and I need you to not work. And I can't, I've got this board meeting. I've got this, this. Okay, I'm changing my mind. The rule is you can't do any work that is visible to anyone on the team. You can just lock yourself in your house and 
work on your board deck or whatever you need to do. But to the rest of the team, they need to think that you're taking time off. That was the compromise we came to because I couldn't get them to actually take time off at that point. And I had a, a VP of engineering later in my career who he was like, I don't know how to get my team to take more time off because it's just not my thing. I like to take one vacation every several years, save up all my PTO and take a, like a three or four week vacation every few years. But that doesn't mean that's what I expect my team to do. I want them right. to take more time off, but like, how do I make them feel okay with it without me having to lead by that example? And I, I told him, like, tell them what you just told me. Yeah. What, however you want to use your time off is up to you. If you're a person that wants to do three-day weekends every month or you're a person that wants to save it all up and do one big month long trip around the world. Like that's up to you. But just because you don't see me taking regular short-term vacations doesn't mean that I don't want you to do it. And it's, again, it's about being vulnerable and being human with each other and being really clear about your expectations. This mirrors my, my love hate relationship with the unlimited PTO strategy. Yes. Uh, because I have so much my, to say about it. I, un, I, early in my career, I was a huge believer. In fact, winning best places to work awards and all that type of stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, as I started to really understand it, it's a con that, that it, the, you, un, because it's unlimited, you think people will just, they'll use it. But because the mentality of managers is that, we're going to work. We're going to, we have right. clients, we have stuff. There is no, if you come in, especially back then, if you come in and say, Hey, I'm going to go to the museum for tomorrow. I'm just going to hang out look at art. Something was wrong with you. That was yeah. crazy. And it's yeah. like, it's, we have unlimited PTO. Like I should be able to, I, should, I, I don't even <laughs> well, have to tell you what culture. I'm doing. It's, right. To me, it's, it's not about the policy. It's about the right. culture. You could have unlimited PTO or you could have 10 days of PTO. And it doesn't matter if the policy is, it's not okay to take it. And I think some people think if I have my 10 days, I know that those are mine to take whenever I want to take it. But you still get people who don't use it because they're like, I have these days, but I feel like I can't really use them. I think the only way to make unlimited policies work is to have a culture of taking time off. And Mm -hmm. in that sense, like it doesn't matter how many days you allow, it's your culture around time off. It's how you celebrate people's time off in the same way you celebrate people's work achievements. I've seen one company do this really well, where what they did is they created a hashtag with their company name and then PTO. And so on Instagram, basically people would just take pictures of their socks. That's great. Or yeah. whatever. If they were going yeah. somewhere, they'd do that. Or if they're just taking a day off and watching TV, they'd take a picture of the TV. And yeah. It became a bit like it was a funny, yeah, like, totally. you know what? I, there's a, here's seven bottles of wine. I'm going to take a picture of that. <laughs> it was really funny. Like people would like get yeah. into it. Go, this is funny. I love that. Right, I'm right. going to steal that idea. We have something like that internally. We have our Oystergram yeah, yeah. Uh, photo sharing channel. We have a travel channel where people share various places that they've gone or things Do that you, they're doing. With your, with your internal thing, have you done the, your pets of oyster? Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, got, that's a fun. We've bit. got a we've got a pets channel and a kids channel. Oh, we have yeah. social channels for just about any affinity you can think of. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's which awesome. is great. But the thing that I love is that when people come back from their travels, we have this norm of sharing pictures from your PTO. Right. And and I even I occasionally will take a PTO day that's just like a personal well being mental health yeah, day because yeah. as as a fellow parent, when you have kids, there are no vacations, only trips. You... And if I actually want a vacation day, I have to take it on a day when my kids are in school. And that doesn't mean that's any less valid as a PTO choice. 
But it's like, I don't want to only use my PTO to like stay home with a sick kid or take my kids to the in-laws or to my parents' house. It's like, I want to tell you sometimes use my PTO for me. I like to go get lunch or go get a massage or sit on the couch and read a book all day. And so I share those too, because I think it's all valuable and we take care of ourselves and our mental health in a lot of different ways. And just normalizing that diversity of experience for people, I think also helps to bring it back to our topic. And you're like, it helps with the disillusionment. If you feel like you can take care of yourself in the way that is most impactful for your life, then you are going to feel better about showing up for work. If you feel like you have to hide yourself or only take care of yourself in the very specific strict ways that your company has said it's okay to take care of yourself, you're going to feel less engaged. You're going to feel that sense of disillusionment with your work life. Yeah, I think it's, as you said, talking about it openly with people like, hey, disillusionment is a thing and we're all going through it. So Mm -hmm. everyone is going, the board is going through it. Yeah. Our clients are going through, everyone's going through. Everyone is dealing with the same. And that's okay. Yeah. And again, kind of creating that space for it's okay and in discourse and helping getting, helping people with their journey of disillusionment rather than acting like it's somehow wrong. To be disillusioned right. is wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's just right. a natural re- response. It's just a part to, of life. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a natural response to trauma. Uh-huh. That's and exactly like There's right. a collective global trauma that, that we've been through in the last several years that's just been compounding. Yep. And every new thing, I think especially the, the more you have a global awareness, the more you you have that compounded trauma. The more you know about your coworker in Pakistan who's dealing mm-hmm. with natural disasters or your coworker in the US who just lost their health insurance yep. because they got, you know, had a, right. some health thing and they're no longer insurable. There's lots of different reasons that people are are experiencing compounded trauma. And you oh, yeah. have to recognize that. And again, that, trauma like, is <laughs> not a bad word. Trauma no. is just a natural occurrence. We all go through mm-hmm. it. We go through it differently. But right. like the taboo, like, okay, just grab your by the bootstraps. Right. Push it aside and push show it up aside. For work. When I was in, in middle school, the coaches would say, just walk it off. Exactly. I'm pretty sure I broke my ankle. <laughs> walk it off. <laughs> just walk, walk it, off. it off. That's not great yeah. advice. This is not yeah. great advice. <laughs> no, I was a dancer growing up. It was like, just put some Ben Gay on there, wrap yeah. your ankle, get back out there. It's like, that's, again, it's, it's not that the way we were doing things before was good and that no. we should return to those old days. How about we take what we've learned? Yeah. And yeah, now yeah, that yeah. we have, now that we know better, we can do better. Let's, that's let's funny. Maya Angelou this shit. And, then, yeah. It, now that we know something better, from these learnings. We can do better. Done. Kim, I could talk to you forever, but I know you got a job. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. This was super fun. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.